Good morning, everyone. If you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, as Dan mentioned, we'll continue our series, short series as it is, in the prodigal son that's there. I say short because there was a time at Concord when I preached through this parable, and I think it took me 12 weeks to get through it. There's just so much that's in here, and that's true of all of God's Word. You can be reading God's Word and think, oh, okay, I've read this before, and something new jumps out at you. Not that it's never been there. It's been there. Maybe you just weren't ready for it, or God was had that particular time for you to think about that passage. So we'll be reading that uh, shortly. You may have been following the recent uh, advertisements for the interview with uh, Prince Harry uh, of England. It's the ongoing saga of Prince Harry leaving his royal family and coming to America to establish a home here with his wife, Meghan. There's no way of knowing all of the ins and outs over all of that history, uh, all the situation there, but it does demonstrate that struggles happen in even families of great privilege. There's sibling, sibling rivalry, uh, growing desire for independence, questioning authority, generational misunderstandings, lack of communication, unresolved issues, anger, bitterness, and eventually there's usually separation that takes place in that family. And that separation is probably most felt during the holiday times when there are parts of a family that don't always want to get together with the other parts of the family. But the pain continues to linger all through the year. Parents especially struggle to try to figure out what was it that we did or said that may have caused this separation if it's with a child. Maybe they wonder, do I keep trying or do I just back off and wait and see what happens. It can happen in any family, maybe even in your family. It certainly has happened in God's family, and it happens here in the prodigal family as well, as we're going to read now. Uh, if you'll stand, we'll read Luke chapter 15 verses 20 through 24. And the son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and uh, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for all of your word because it's all true and we can build our lives on that. We don't have to wonder if something is or isn't true. We pray that this morning your Holy Spirit will open the word to us and us to your word and that he will interpret your word as each one of us needs to hear and understand and apply it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> two, years ago, uh, two weeks ago, I began this uh, short series by looking at the prodigal younger son who had left his father after getting his inheritance uh, prematurely. He squandered it on foolish and uh, sinful living. When he ran out, the consequences began to come in on him, and he came to himself and realized, you know, even my father's servants have it better than I do. I need to go back. But the question was, would the father receive him back? And that's the question that we're going to explore today as we look at the prodigal father. Some Bible scholars think that the father is really the main character in Luke's story in the parable here. Tim Keller, who's one of the well-known uh, pastors in our denomination, actually has kind of renamed the parable in a book that he has written called The Prodigal Father. The Rembrandt, this is your cue, Dan, uh, Rembrandt painted a picture of the prodigal son. And you'll notice as you look at that picture where the bright spot is. It's the father's face. Because I think Jesus meant for the father to be the central character and that's because he wanted, in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes to understand the great grace-filled heart of the Heavenly Father. Rembrandt was no stranger to family pain. He lost three of his children before they were one year old. His wife died within a year after giving birth to their only surviving son, Titus. Titus died when he was 27, a year before Rembrandt died in 1669, the year that he finished 
this particular painting. What we can see in this one verse, verse 20, is that, and it's what the whole Bible teaches really, is that God is consistently compassionate so that we can confidently come home to Him. He's consistently compassionate so that when we come home, we come confidently, not wondering is He going to receive us or not. The son wasn't sure if the father was going to receive him, but you and I don't ever have to wonder if our Heavenly Father will receive us. That's because the, the, the devil often tries to convince us when we have sinned, we've gone back, we've done the same thing again, that God's finished with us. He's not going to forgive us this time. These passages here are going to teach us very differently. Notice in verse 20 that it begins with the, verse, uh, the word but. But is one of those words that indicates a change, uh, a new focus, a different direction, some uncertainty. What it does is it signals us almost to say, but on the contrary, this here is really the case. The prodigal son heads home, but is he going to be welcomed? Not as far as the Pharisees or the scribes in verse 2 are concerned. What father, after having experienced the rejection that he has experienced, the disrespect, the embarrassment that the son caused. What father is going to take a son like that back again? Well, maybe as a servant or a hired hand, but not likely as a son. Maybe with the words, well, you can come back, but we'll have to see. Or, you made your bed, now you have to lie in it. Or maybe a typical I told you so, but not this Father, and not our Heavenly Father. This Father sees His Son coming at some distance. How's that possible? Well, I wonder if maybe He's been hoping all the time that He would come back. Probably every day once the Son left, He would get up in the morning and he'd steal a glance to see if the sun was heading back. As he worked in the fields or around the house, one eye on the road, is he coming back? At night, before going to bed or before the sun goes down, maybe he would steal a look to the horizon to see if he could see his sun's outline. Maybe in the middle of the night, when there was a noise in the house and he woke up and he got up thinking, maybe my son is coming home. Every day, the day, the next day, and the day after that. And now he catches a glimpse of the figure coming down the road, coming slowly, maybe stooped over, and he wonders, is that him? Could it be? And so, 
He can't wait. He's got to know if this is his son. So he begins walking toward him and then picking up speed and finally running. The, the Greek word here for run is the word trek. We use that word. We think of a trek as something that requires a lot of uh, uh, effort, a lot of thinking, planning. The son ought to be putting forth this effort. He ought to be running back to his father. But instead, it's the father who's running. And it's hard for an older man to run, I can tell you that. Uh, it's not appropriate, you might say. But maybe he has to gather up, you know, the long robe that he wears and he tucks it in his belt as he's running. But run he must. He must know if this is the Son. And as he gets closer, he knows it is his Son. And when he gets to his Son, he embraces him. It's not that fake Middle Eastern kind of arm's length little kiss. Uh, it's not the Hollywood kind of kiss on the cheek. This is an embrace. This is a, I didn't think I would ever see you again kind of hug that he gives. Rembrandt, I think, captures this gathering together very, very well. The tattered clothes, the broken sandals, the blistered, dry, cracked feet, the clothes that's probably going to fall off of him soon, the starved, tired, dirty body, and, as I mentioned two weeks ago, the smell of pigs all over him. Now, the smell of pigs is something that is pungent, overwhelming, and it stays, hangs around. It's not the kind of smell that a good Jewish father would want to come close to, you know? But not this father. It says here that he is filled with compassion. He had a sympathy deep within him for his son. And in this one verse, we realize what a remarkable father this is. But obviously, Jesus is telling this parable to point to the heavenly father and how great his grace and his mercy and his compassion are. Though the prodigal has turned his back on his father, left him, hurt him, embarrassed him, if it took a lifetime, this father is going to hope. He's going to wait. We learn here four things about this heavenly 
father and this prodigal father. First of all, that God is committed to his children. It seems that the prodigal father was watching. He was waiting, expecting for his son, refused to give up. Even though the prodigal, the, the prodigal turned his back on his father, his father is not going to turn his back on him. He's waiting, he's hoping. Our Heavenly Father waits for us to turn around and to come home. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, The Father waits to be gracious. What a wonderful passage. The Father waits to be gracious to us if we are His children. We may waver. Our commitment may wane. But our Heavenly Father's commitment to His children never does. He can't stop being a father. Do you remember those uh, Geico commercials where it usually ends up by saying, it's what you do. And when you buy Geico insurance, you save 15%. And one of those shows, uh, oh, Tarzan and Jane's swinging by the vine through the jungle, and as they're swinging, they're arguing which is the best way to get to the waterfall. And then the little voice comes in and it says, if you're a couple, you argue over directions. It's what you do. Well, if you're the Heavenly Father, you have commitment to your children. It's what you are as the Father. Why is that? Well, because secondly, God is compassionate. Now, the compassionate is different from care. It's a step further. It comes from the word come, which means with, compassion, or passion, which means a suffering, like the passion of Christ. A suffering with someone else. The father, the prodigal father here, is suffering with his child, imagining what he might be going through, maybe thinking back to the time when he was a teenager, knowing how he wanted to get out from underneath, how he wanted to go out and explore the world and see what it was like, yearning to be free. And as he begins to see his son, he sees the toll that the son's life and choices have taken on him. Maybe the sparkle in his eye is now gone. The wide-eyed wonder replaced by weariness. The shoulders slumped because of sadness. He can feel with him. He cares about him. Now, we don't have to wonder how the Lord could be compassionate toward us. We remember how when Lazarus died and his two sisters grieved, it says Jesus wept. We remember how Jesus wept over Jerusalem during the time of the triumphal entry, knowing the judgment, the destruction that was coming to Jerusalem in a few years if they didn't repent. He, Jesus suffered with us 
while on earth. Hungry, tired, often without a bed, often without friends. There's a wonderful set of commercials that's been airing recently, and it'll talk about somebody who maybe was rejected by their friends, uh, who turned on him, uh, someone sold him off to the enemy, and then it ends usually with saying, he gets us, all of us. Jesus gets us. You ever wonder why Jesus came as a baby? I think it's so that little children can understand that Jesus understands what it feels to be little, to be dependent on other people. And the heavenly Father suffered with His Son on the cross. He gets us as parents, all of us. But just as the, father, uh, the prodigal father's compassion drove him to act, so that he ran to meet his son. God comes to his children also. Maybe the father came to his son because he could see him slowing, uh, slowing down even as he's coming down the road, tired, exhausted. Is he going to make it? And the father won't take that chance of him being discouraged. Now, you read through this parable and you think, now wait a minute, it looks like the son is making the first move. He is coming back to the father and then the father responds. But look at verse 17 a little more closely. What is it that prompts the son to even think about coming back? It's remembering the mercy the kindness, the grace that his father showed even his servants and his hired hands. That's what's setting the stage, how the father has treated everybody near to him. That's what prompts the son to come back. And then, as he's coming back, the father is coming to him as well. I remember years ago reading about a woman who called the Better Business Bureau and she called to complain about a salesman who had built her out of thousands of dollars of windows. And she said to the Better Business Bureau person, I just knew this deal was too good to be true. And so the person said, well, then why? Didn't you call us first? Because I knew you would tell me not to do it. <laughs> when we are confronted by Satan, he offers us things that look good. It's a great deal. And we don't ask God because we think we know what he's going to say. And uh, so we don't go to him. When we sin and we make 
foolish and dumb decisions. The consequences begin to come. So much so that we don't go back to our Heavenly Father because we don't know the way back to our Heavenly Father. We're lost. We don't know how to get back to Him. Remember how it says that He came to seek and to save what was lost. God comes looking for His children. The prodigal son's father here did more than just come for the prodigal. He touched him. He, kissed him. he embraced him close to himself. He got the son's dirt and smell all over him. He didn't wait to, for the son to get a good bath and get a nice clean set of clothes on him. He embraced him just there when he saw him. And like the prodigal's father, our prodigal heavenly father connects with his children. He connects with us through his son. There's a reason I had that passage in Mark 1 read this morning. I just love that passage. This leper comes to Jesus. And lepers were considered unclean, and they had to yell ahead of them to warn people that they were coming. They'd have to say unclean. Leprosy was an awful disease. It would cause the skin to rot, eventually to fall off. The clothes that a leper wore smelled from his wounds that weren't being treated and were constant. He comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can cleanse me. And Jesus says, I will. And then what? He touched him. He connected with him. He drew him in to himself. God does not keep us at arm's length. He draws us in. He draws us in through the comforting of the Holy Spirit who I like to think brings His spiritual arms around us. And I think our Heavenly Father reaches out to us and connects to us through fellow Christians as we physically reach out and comfort those who are coming back to the Lord. Robert Robinson became a Christian when he was 23, and he became a pastor, pastored several churches. He wrote hymns, but then he slowly began to drift away from the Lord and drift into sin. Eventually, he quit the ministry. He went into another job, but he was miserable. Finally, he decided maybe a trip would help me feel a little bit better. So he went on a trip. He happened to sit next to a young woman who was reading, of all things, a hymn book. And she was remarking about how a particular hymn really 
ministered to her so greatly. She went on and on, and he tried to ignore her and change the subject. She kept coming back to it. And now I've lost track of what, what the hymn is. Okay. Let me look at your bulletin. Okay. She kept going on. And finally, uh, he said to her, I know about that hymn. I wrote it. Well, do you believe these words? I'm still not finding it. You might want to turn there as soon as I find it. Oh dear. I didn't count on a different. Anyway, it's the hymn, the last verse that says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, now like a fetter, bind my wondering heart to Thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's for, my wife just signaled me, it's 467. 457, I can't even read her signs. <laughs> you may want to look at that this afternoon. But she asked him, do you believe those words? He thought for a while. He said, yes, I do. Then come back to it. And he did. Today, maybe you are like that prodigal son. You know you've wondered. And if we stop to realize what our sin really does to our Heavenly Father, how it grieves Him, how it hurts Him, how it embarrasses Him, how it is rebellion against Him. We wouldn't take our sins so lightly. We would turn to Him, not sure if He's going to take us back, but when we remember what the Scriptures say, we can know that the prodigal God, our Heavenly Father, will reach out to us. Just like this prodigal father did to welcome his son. Come to him. He is waiting 
to be gracious to you and to me, regardless of our sin. Maybe you're in a family that's experiencing this kind of brokenness. God calls you, if you've tasted of His mercy and grace, to be that instrument of reconciliation again like the Heavenly Father, the prodigal Father. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by what we read here. We're that prodigal son in big ways and little ways, but we rejoice that you're that father in all ways. We come back to you. God, be merciful to us as we come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.